0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is what kills warehousing companies with my friend, Summit Hoag. Summit is the founder of a company called grow real estate partners, and they work exclusively in the 3PL and fulfillment space. In addition, Summit is a partner in a 3PL, so he has first-hand experience in what is killing warehousing companies, and we've seen rapid growth in this space, but there's also some big problems, and we talk about the five things that kill warehousing companies. Check it out. So, how's it going, Summit? Summit. Going great, man.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: I'm excited to have you on. You were recommended that I interview you by our mutual friend, Joe Spizek, over at Fulfilled.com. So, excited to have this conversation with you. you got a very interesting background, and you, you've kind of seen the warehousing business from a few different uh, angles. So, Summit, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today.
1: Yeah. So uh, Summit Hogue, based here in Dallas. You know, our company is called Grow, Grow Real Estate Partners. Uh, There's kind of two sides to the business. There's Grow Real Estate Partners and the Grow Network. And we we specialize in managing the real estate portfolios for mid-market growth-minded 3PL operators. And then the Grow Network side is talking to brands and manufacturers and, and helping them find the right 3PL and then helping direct that traffic, right? Put those brands and and manufacturers in contact with the right 3PL operators, thus causing real estate deals to happen because we're filling space. And that's kind of the model.
0: Yep. And you also, we'll talk about this as we get into the interview, but you also own a 3PL, which um, has given you even additional insights into some of the challenges. And again, what, what kills warehousing companies? We all know we've seen this huge boom in e-commerce, which meant a huge boom in warehousing and fulfillment. But now we're starting to see some real challenges in it, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But first, a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Grow.
1: Yeah, so I grew up on a farm out in Brownfield, Texas. If you've ever heard of Brownfield, it's south of, south of Lubbock, out in the middle of West Texas. Dad's a cotton farmer out there.
0: What's the name of the city? It's
1: called Brownfield, it's sounds like exactly a good farm. It's exactly like it sounds. It's exactly <laughs> like it sounds. I mean it's it's literally so flat out there you can watch your dog run away for three days. But it's it's a it's a it was a beautiful place to grow up. It's a wonderful way to to, to live and, and growing up on a farm was was truly a blessing and it taught me so many things about life. My dad is a wonderful farmer, wonderful man, and, and uh, can't thank him enough. But grew up out there learning the value of a dollar, learning the value of, of a work ethic and the value of a positive attitude and, and taking those things into, I went to Texas Tech, got a degree in viticulture, so the study of wine grapes. Hallelujah. So me and my dad, yeah. So me and my dad built a vineyard. It's called Blackwater Draw, still running the vineyard out there. It's about a 40 acre vineyard and then farming cotton all around it. <clears throat> but I thought I was gonna be a farmer. So I went out there, thought I was gonna be a farmer and run the vineyard and ultimately the cotton price hit the floor. My brother was farming with my dad and just ultimately it was, Hey man, it's just, it's, it's not a great time to, to, to kick off a farming career. So you got to go figure something else out. So I packed up a Penske truck and I drove to Dallas after school and landed in, in commercial real estate. And, uh, I started at a a firm here in Dallas. That's a a local tenant rep firm, kind of cut my teeth there and learned the business learned, learned a little bit about what, what, how to run a tenant rep operation and found a sort of a niche in the marketplace that I felt like I could really, really build on and nobody else was doing sort of the model that we kind of come up with. And so I ended up leaving there
0: and starting, uh, starting grow and, and been full steam ahead ever since. So I love that you picked a niche. I mean, I always say the, uh, We all need to do that in the logistics and supply chain space, but also in the real estate space. But what's so interesting about what's happening is all of a sudden real estate is front and center in our business. And in the past, it was like, well, and you kind of think it doesn't matter. We're all remote now. Well, your freight's not remote. (laughs) You can be remote, but if I'm a, a brand I need to be certain places. My freight can't be remote. I can't say, "Hey, my freight's working from mountaintop in New Mexico." No, 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 no. It has to be it has to be a day away from the consumer or closer even. So, what hole did you see in the market? I mean, what did you see when you were still at your last firm that said, "Hey, this is this is an underserved area?"
1: That's a great question. So, every real estate company out there tends to be very, very, very geography focused. So, you're in this specific market and you need to know every building, every business and do every deal in that submarket. And what I kept running into was I'm going in and trying to win this person's business. One, he's owned his business longer than I've been alive. And two, I don't know anything about his business. I don't know anything about his business. I don't know how he's built it, how he runs it. I don't even know his industry. So as I was going door to door to door for a year out in Grand Prairie, Texas, getting my teeth kicked in and door slammed in my face, I was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And, and I, it really came down to, I just, I zoned in on a business model where what industry could I focus on that I could do a lot of business with the same person and I could know their business, add a ton of value to their business. And then, and then at the same time, I'm consistently doing business with the same person. That was what I was trying to focus in on. And what it came down to was the 3PL business was really, really taking off at the time. This was seven years ago. And, and, and I realized pretty quick that what's a 3PL chasing? What do they want? And how do I give it to them was the question. And pretty quickly, I realized that if you bring them 10,000 pallets, they're going to want to grow. They're going to want to go take on more space. So you can ultimately cause the need for them to take on some more space. So then I said, whoa, okay, so I need to understand their business really well. And then I need to go find everything that they're chasing and put a bow on it and hand it to them. And ultimately, just it's simply taking a proactive approach to a specific industry in an effort to facilitate growth and to cause real estate deals to happen instead of sit back and wait for somebody to pick up the phone and call me and say, hey, now I need a building. Because you'll wait by your phone until you're blue in the face. I mean, nobody's going to call you. Just you, you got to go and make it happen. Right. My dad taught me that at an early age. If, if, if you're ever sitting around and, and don't have anything to do, then you find something to do and create something to do. And you just took that mindset into this business where a lot of people sit back and wait. And we, we took a proactive approach. And now all of a sudden we've built a, a really robust business where we're bringing a lot of brands, manufacturers are consistently contacting us saying, hey, I need to find a 3PL that can do these things. And we know who's good at what, who has space where, and we plug them in. And then next thing you know, we're, we're expanding that 3PL into a bigger building, and everybody's winning and growing, and we're just facilitating growth.
0: Yeah. Well, there's no doubt the, the national footprint is how we talk. And you're right. If I said, hey, I need a place in Chicago, traditionally I'd have to go get a Chicago guy. If I need a place in Dallas, I'd have to get a Dallas guy. And then I'm a, a, up in Minneapolis, I need a, a Minneapolis gal to help me Get my location, and that that doesn't work. We need somebody who can. The growth minded three PL. So if you're just a onesie twosie, yeah, you can probably work with a local real estate guy. But if you're a growth minded three PL and you got the idea that we're gonna have multiple locations across the country, I need I need somebody who can work with me across the country. So, Summit, I want to switch gears on you, and I want to talk about what kills warehousing companies. So, before we hit record, we had a long conversation, probably longer than we needed to, about what kills warehousing companies. So, you you have helped a lot of companies with their locations. You are managing portfolios across the country for a lot of com- warehousing companies. But on top of that, you also you own a warehousing company. So, talk a little bit about that situation, how you ended up owning a warehousing company.
1: Yeah wild story. But basically I was in the market looking for a 3PL that could handle the large account that I had in Houston. And I got on the phone with a, a warehousing company down there and they just said, Hey, we're, I'd love to work with you and help you on that one. But, but we're closing our doors. We're, we're filing bankruptcy. And I said, whoa, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Let me, let me make some phone calls and, and let's see if we can get you guys out of the situation. And ultimately made a few calls and had a, a local guy in Houston that was really perfect timing. He was ready to start a three PL, so I call him. We we pulled some money together and, and brought him in, and he's going to be the operator. We take it over. Ultimately, got to keep all this a lot of the same people. Got to keep the building and the customers and a lot of a lot of those details in place, and then get them out from under the you know the the rent and all the obligations that they were on that they were liable for. And ultimately we get in there, and man, like this was it was an this education. Was ar- <laughs> this was archaic systems. Archaic. I mean, WMS system is on Excel spreadsheets. The that, Quick that's, not WMS. System,
0: that's not a WMS. It's just the, an Excel spreadsheet. Man. And the, the accounting
1: system was still a floppy disk. A QuickBooks floppy disk from. Look it up, kids. It's it's, it's these floppy disks. (laughs) A floppy disk, man. I hadn't seen one of these in ages. I was blown away. And then every contract they had with customers was in a binder and slipped in a little clear folder. And it was like two pages and they were 30 day contracts. And man, like we just, just the whole situation, we were like, man, this is, this needs some upgrading in here. So. You know, ultimately we, we came in and we we had to sift through one, upgrade a lot of those systems. We jumped on a new WMS system. We upgraded the the QuickBooks system to the cloud and, and got the, just an all updated into the new operation there. Our CFO is incredible. He's a contract CFO. So he's actually my CFO at Grow, but it, we also brought him in to be the CFO down there and he helped us in so many different ways. His name's Hunter and he's, he's one of the sharpest dudes I've ever, ever been around in my life. Well, he helped us fine tune some of the, the the numbers and the P&L and the balance sheet and all that, figure out which customers were profitable, which ones weren't, and really just dig into the operation. And we ultimately found that there were some customers in there that were borderline profitable, but they were more, a little bit more of a, they they called a lot. They they called consistently. They're, they're high maintenance. Know, <laughs> high maintenance, right? They took a lot of our guys' time. Our CSRs were just constantly, you know, talking to these people and and ultimately what it came down to was we just had to sift through and and cull some of the trim some of the fat, if you will, and and then backfill those you know, that space with more profitable accounts and, and longer contracts and and ultimately there was a lot of customers in there that really looked at that warehousing company like a commodity. It was it was who's the cheapest whenever they were looking for a warehousing company, not not who's gonna be the best provider, who's gonna be my best, you know, service provider and partner in this deal to manage my warehousing operation and ultimately if that's your mindset you're not really going to be a good fit for our business because we can't scale and grow our warehousing operation if if we have customers that think that way so
0: right well you 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 hit on a few of the problems that we wanted to talk about so first off technology now we know all of us know right away that technology is something we need but of course we need a wms everybody kind of knows that but the bigger firms obviously need even more than a WMS and I would say more and more we're seeing I need a WMS that I can use that will make it easy to connect to connect to all of, all of the automation that I have which could be you know personal automation that people are wearing it could be uh it could be scanners but but you need to be able to if you want to upgrade your warehouse you're going to have to spend a little bit on automation sometimes the WMS has to quickly pick that up. It has to integrate with whatever automation. But on top of that, it also has to automate with some of your other systems. You know, like your uh, QuickBooks or whatever you're using for finance. There's still a lot of 3PLs out there. And we have our mutual friend, Shana. Shana was on my podcast. He's he is uh, at Rabat is the CEO and founder there, uh, co-founder. And what he found, he went across the country and worked for six different warehousing companies over a three month period and he did this so he could understand some of their problems and at the end he created his team created a um, a tool for the packing station to make sure you put the right things in the box before you seal that box up so that uh, a robot r-a-b-o-t king of the packing station but anyway what shauna learned by working at six warehouses in three months was that a lot of them aren't using technology to its full extent a lot of them were even though they they had a wms they were still using excel spreadsheets so i think you know i always say the nature of being in my podcast everyone talks about high-end cutting edge bleeding edge of technology there are still a lot of players out there for lots of good reasons who don't have the highest highest level tech but you need the technology appropriate for your operation what you guys bought wasn't 40 locations you bought one location in texas but it needed to have the bare minimum at least to uh, serve the customers so the first thing we'll call it is technology problems it is a problem that kills warehousing companies every day and you touched on another one which is bad customer fit and i hear that one all the time now where when you're starting a little 3 3pl warehousing business you're like We just will take anybody. And you're taking smaller companies who the bigger guys said, no thanks, we can't work with you. Smaller customers sometimes can be really high maintenance. Yes. You're making less money on them, and they are also needing a lot more hand-holding. And it's not bad if you know that's coming, and you can charge accordingly. But if you find yourself with a whole bunch of customers that are very costly to service and not making much money on them, that doesn't work.
1: That's a big key, man, and I've seen this so many times with so many different 3PLs that are that are just open to taking anything and everything. And I've got I, I had a really good example of two i can't what's sure names, but there's two different 3PL operators that I've. I've been working with, and one of them would take anything that came his way, anything. I mean, just anything that popped up, he would take them on.
0: It works for a minute.
1: <laughs> and then the the other guy, they started their businesses around the same time, same footprint. Another guy was very, very particular. He would only take things that, that fit this specific niche, or they fit this mold, or they were this specific size and up. And he sat with his building with a little more space for a longer period of time, but As he won those accounts by being very strategic and targeting those specific customers, he landed a few, then he landed multiple because they referred him to new guys. And next thing you know, that customer or that 3PL operator is now in three different markets in 100,000 square foot buildings across the country and an extremely robust 3PL operator. The other guy is in the same building he started in and is... Ultimately, he just hadn't been able to get outside of that of those walls because it just the customer mix that he took on. It was just ultimately, it was just it was a lot of really small accounts that that he couldn't end up growing.
0: Yeah, and I think you have to pick a niche. That's a, that's another piece, and you've done it with real estate. And I think you have to pick a niche. And I think also you have to really be aware of smaller customers. I've heard people say this to me: I can't find a three PL, I can't find a three PL. They call me, and I help them. And I've talked to enough people who run warehousing companies where they, most of the big guys say, minimum order size. You, I, I have to have a minimum number of orders every month, or I can't work with you. I think also when you're bringing on small companies, and I'm not against small companies, but you, they have to find someone who's a good fit for them too. And this, I said this the other day when I was talking to Joe Spizek, is, it's when you're talking about sales. It's really all about customer fit. It's not just I'm going to sell to you because you're an e-commerce company and I use work with e-commerce companies. If we don't fit, if it's not a cultural fit, if it's not a a financial fit, we aren't going to do business because it doesn't make sense. And by the way, that's that applies to all businesses. I always talk to people who uh, do over the road transportation. But we've all worked with companies that just weren't the right fit for whatever reason. I can tell you, working with small, fast-growing companies sounds great, but a lot of times you find yourself expediting stuff for them, and then later on, them complaining, "Why are costs so high?" I say, "Because you can't call us except after hours, and you you can't call us." you won't, you won't take uh, LTL because you don't have enough time. They can't plan their business. So you're in a position where you're driving their costs higher and they're mad about it anyway. So I'm going to summarize what we talked about. So first off, one of the things that kills companies is lack of technology. It might not kill you when you're little, but the bigger you get, it gets worse every day. Next is bad customer fit. It might sound great to say we take all comers in the beginning, but at some point, you're gonna realize I can't work with everybody. Labor problems, talk about labor problems. I know you've had some, you had to deal with some. Talk about why that is a killer of these businesses.
1: Man, one, access to labor. So there's certain markets, labor's a problem everywhere. Everybody's having a challenge. Well talk
0: about Reno, talk about Reno for a minute. Reno, (laughs) Reno is a
1: wild market, man. Like it's, it's truly, they've built millions and millions of square feet of warehouse space sort of in between these mountains. It's called Trick. And they've, you know, it's where the Tesla Gigafactory is. It's where a lot of the major, major retailers have, have set up shop. And and I was putting a, a 3PL customer, we were going out there looking for space. And I went door to door to door, just asking people on the dock in the warehouse in the office of different companies in the area, asking how far they drove to work, uh, trying to get an idea of like, where. I I can run a labor study and data can show me all kinds of stuff, but nothing's gonna give me as good a data as I walk in and ask people. So that's really one of the the things that I did. And, And the average was 55 minutes that they were driving to that warehouse to work an hourly wage job. And with gas prices jumping where they were, I mean, gas prices in Reno got to, across the country, but in Reno, really, really high. If you're driving 55 minutes to an hour, to an hourly wage job. You're going to have to be making in the in the mid twenties an hour, or it's or you're not going to be able to
0: to justify. I, I've talked to operators in Reno and they said our contracts are based on certain certain hourly rate for our people. And all of a sudden those rates doubled during COVID, doubled. And by the way, guys, a lot of warehousing and three PLs opened up in Reno because I think it's one day one-day transit for small parcels to LA. LA is one-day transit to LA. So <laughs> you could, at the time, you could be in Reno and be much less expensive than being in California. And so that's why we have Reno all of a sudden skyrocketing price. And by the way, I've not been to Reno in a long time, but I remember being there a long, probably 25 years ago. I was thinking... It's a small town, and when I I, I got to think when I go there now, it's got to be a booming town. I mean, with it's booming, yeah, and it's yeah. A lot of you people don't mind living in the deserts. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> I I w- I went out to Nevada Automotive Test Center. It's mostly automotive and military stuff tested out there, and I remember. We were driving out in the desert and I was like, I don't think we're coming home. This is so damn far out in the desert. I was, that scared me out there. <laughs> anyway, we talked about three things that kills 3PL, so for warehousing companies. One is labor problems. And it's not just the price of that. It's also, can I get everybody to work together? If I have a bad culture, people don't care. And that's, by the way, I always say culture problem, ha- you get a culture where you're working on work on it or not, you're going to have one. It's like, a, it's like a garden, right? Weeds are going to grow whether you planted them or not.
1: That's a great way to put it because that is very, very, very true.
0: And so i just imagine Summit, if you and I went to work in a warehouse today, well, first off, you're young and strong. You have no problem. After about a day of walking 10 miles a day, lifting boxes, I'd say, screw this. I'm not doing this. <laughs> oh, I'll lose some weight, but it ain't worth it, right? That's hard work. And a lot of people don't want to do that hard work. Why would you? You say, "Look, I'll go. I'll go learn to code. I'll uh, I'll go do DoorDash and drive around in my car and drink pop all day. What do I care?" So we're going to have to figure out a way to get people in that in in those locations, but also being on board and being happy and enthused to be there. That means you're going to have to work at it. It's not just show up and I'll pay you twenty bucks an hour and you should just be happy with it. They aren't going to be happy with it, right? culture
1: culture is one of the biggest factors and i see this i've been to a lot of warehousing conferences and they always have a breakout session that's built on like how to build company culture how to build a team where everybody feels like they're all working towards a common goal and they they're all excited about that goal and they're working hard towards it like that's that's extremely important and you've got a one of the one of the guys that was on the panel at the last one that i went to he just said man i try to take at least 10 to 12 of our warehousing, warehousing staff to lunch. And I just want to talk to them and ask them, you know, I, I do it all year long. I just have these every so often we'll go to lunch. And I just want to talk to them hear their frustrations. I want to take their ideas and help make our company better and really get them involved. And they have a really, really good culture in that company. And they've been very strong. And that's why it's, you know, almost on the third generation because they've done such a good job of building that company culture. So I think that's really important. When we took over A1 Warehouse, there was a lot of really good people. The warehouse manager was an animal. I mean, he's really a wonderful human. He's done a great job. We've had to cull a few guys that were in the warehouse in and out and then it brings in some new guys, but we've built a really, really good culture. And that's a big point for that business. And now we don't have near as many issues on the dock or issues in the warehouse that we used to as we came in. And, and that's that's just a, a prime example of, why, of how important that really
0: is. Right. And I think another thing beyond the pay, we're going to have to do a better job. Companies are going to have to do a better job of putting a career path in place in warehouses. So I I can see I just talked to uh, Carl from Flex. I can see companies like, you know, the big the bigger companies that have locations across the country saying we're going to build a career path for these guys. Because it's one thing if you say, hey, I started at this warehousing company and I have a chance at some point to become an analyst here, become a sales guy here, to become something other than uh, the guy who has a strong back and walks all day. If we can make these jobs the first step into a supply chain career, we're on the right path. If all I'm being treated like is you can walk a long way and lift boxes, I'm not going to stay. So I think we have to get them connected to technology. Hopefully, to make you more efficient, not just for the hell of it, obviously, It's going to make you more efficient, more effective, safer. We have to take better care of these people. People aren't going to be in these jobs for thirty years, so we we have to kind of find a way to make this the first step in a supply chain career. And what better step to do it? Most people in and that this isn't criticism, this is just the reality. most of us didn't start driving a truck or working on a dock or working in a warehouse. It would not be bad experience if you had done those things early before uh, before you got deep into your career. Amen
1: to that, man. I, and that for me, that goes back to the farming days because my dad would put a hoe in my hand and say, "Go out there and you're going to work the mile long rows, hoeing weeds all day long, and put a water bottle on both ends of the of the row, and then meet me for a burger at lunch and leave me out there all day." I mean, that was that's where it started, right? And you and he taught me that at an early age. But yeah, I mean, these warehouse operators, like the guy I was mentioning on the panel, he would take them to lunch and then he'd hear, you know, something that maybe somebody suggested that would make their life easier with some sort of technology that could automate something for them. Right. And he goes and does a little research in that day. So they try to get back to on the same day with, hey, I've been doing some research on this, like, no, like letting them know, hey, I see you. I understand. I, I appreciate your thoughts. Here's something that I think we're going to implement and then putting them in charge of, okay, you're going to understand this technology, train you on this technology and we're going to get it for you. We're going to make your life easier because of it. And now that person has that purpose. They have that, that meeting. Now they have a, a specific, they're not just a, a person out in the warehouse. Like they, they have a role where they're running this sort of technology uh, or implementing these new scan guns, for example, with us. Like we got these new scan guns to try to automate and, and, and make the system and process a lot easier for guys in the warehouse. And and we set somebody, appointed them to be in charge of that. And it's it's made them, it's really shown us a lot about that person because they stepped up to the plate and they've really made it happen. And now that is really building that culture where they're bought into the idea. They're excited. They love what they're doing. And and I think that that's, that's something that's extremely important.
0: Right. I remember being at a retail conference many years ago where the speaker said, There's mostly executives there, and he said, What's the is customer service the number one priority in your business? Raise your hand, all these everyone raise their hand. Yes, customer service. And he said, That's great. How many many hours a week do you spend with your frontline employees? And he says, Over five hours. And it's like, uh, he goes, Be honest. Like, he goes, And basically, people are spending less than an hour a week with frontline employees. He says, That's who provides the customer service. So when you say, you value customer service, you look at the reports, you don't actually get involved with it. So I think that's the same with, if you want want those KPIs to work really well, you gotta walk out into the warehouse and (laughs) help the guys make those KPIs work. So we've talked about a few things. First off, technology. I think that's a no brainer. Everybody knows that one. But secondly, labor problems. You have to, the costs have skyrocketed and they're they're gonna continue to be high in certain places. And again, it's not an easy job. It's not a fun job. So we have to work on the culture and we also have to work on how do we develop these people and also how do we equip them with technology that allows them not only to learn, but also be more effective, be more efficient. And uh, we're going to have to figure that out because um, this isn't going away. E-commerce, e- direct-to-consumer, omni-channel, it requires more and more expertise at the warehouse level and we're going to have to we're going to have to develop people for those positions Uh, so we talk labor tech we also talk bad customer fit again i think a lot of smaller companies are happy to take on a whole bunch of customers because it seems like i got my warehouse full but if they aren't paying enough or if they are super high maintenance and that's not your business model you might have to you might have to part ways at some point before we hit record, we talked a lot about this customer acquisition cost. Talk a little bit about that summit.
1: Man, yeah, customer acquisition cost. Well, one, with Facebook and some of the and Google changing some of the terms and conditions around how you can follow, like how you can specifically target specific people. That change has really, really, really hurt a lot of brands that, that had that really dialed in and were really marketing to specific people. So I actually office with a company that's a, it's a, it's a a subscription box company. And he was telling me about, you know, their, their customer acquisition costs almost doubled just because they, they've now have a, a, it's a lot harder to go get specific people than it used to be with those changes. And, and it's, it's the, finding the right fit of two or three PL is, is very challenging because you can go find a lot of people that are looking for warehousing, but, Finding somebody that fits your specific locations and your specific build of an operation—it's very hard. So a lot of the sales guys—they—they they have a challenging time because they're selling into this box, and if you don't fit into this box, and you're not—you're not, you're not going to be a good fit for us. So
0: right. So I think the the cost of ads has gone sky skyrocketing through this business. And again, you were introduced to me by Joe Spizak over at Fulfill.com. and and it was ten. 10 million plus on ads to get people to come to fulfill.com and what they do over there is they help warehousing companies find business but they also have they're like match.com for warehousing companies and e-commerce shippers or other kind of shippers so it is gotten very expensive to acquire as that this space has gotten hot we have a lot of VC money has flooded in and the once sleepy warehousing business is now increasingly high tech and it's got a lot of money behind it. So we're seeing certain companies spend a lot of money on ads, and that means the cost of that customer acquisition has gone really high. And and as we talked about, we're not looking for just anybody. I don't want to necessarily work with people who don't fit. So you gotta weed through a number of these guys. So this this is killing warehousing companies right now. We're we're gonna I think in the coming years we're gonna figure out what's a good fit for this space and what's not. I think we're going to see some fallout, maybe some consolidation, maybe some some soldiers leaving the field.
1: <laughs> we're already seeing a, a lot of consolidation right now. A lot of acquisitions being made. I mean, over even the last like two or three weeks, we've seen a lot of these private equity-backed 3PLs that really built, 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 and now selling off to larger entities. And then a lot of the small guys that are that have just been Pounding and pounding and pound and just got it to a point where they're like, "All right, I'm ready to to tap out," and they sell to a private equity firm that's sort of doing a roll up to a bunch of different locations that then ultimately value add to it, pump a lot of cash into it, build it, and then flip it um, to either a larger private equity firm or maybe just a large user that's expanding to the states or something. So,
0: yep, I just interviewed Nathan from um, Stasi. And they're a European company that just bought Amware. I think they have now 81 locations. Um, I just talked to Carl from Flex, the co-founder over there. They have hundreds of locations. Um, before we hit record, we were talking about stored. Lots of locations, where to go. I, they're advertising to me lately, so I know they have 30 plus warehouses across the country. And they're backed by UPS. They're a UPS-owned company. We're seeing a lot of these big, you know ship hero ship bob all these companies that have multiple locations and again they have money behind them and i think there's another challenge that we're going to have is if you're one location and in pre-e-commerce it made a lot of sense to say i have one location it's in indianapolis area or somewhere in indiana why because it's one day transit to 65 percent of the population that's not necessarily a perfect location now i might need multiple locations now if i'm doing same day next day. And I, again, I don't necessarily think we're going to see a million people doing, well, a million companies saying same day, but we are definitely going to see a lot of people with next day. So we're going to need companies that can do multiple locations. More than this, this, correct me if I'm wrong. I've not heard anybody correct me yet. Half of the warehousing companies have one location and that's not going to cut it for same day, next day, customers.
1: Well, that's and that and that's kind of the fit for a lot of the flex and stores in the world, right? Because they're going to these Fortune 500 companies, saying, "Hey, look, instead of you having, you know, using one of the big guys like XPO or Geotis, and then instead of you going out and having 15 different 3PLs that you're managing relationships with that have different levels of technology, different levels of, you know, customer experience." Just work with us, and we, we will manage that entire process for you. So that's where a lot of that comes in.
0: Right. Even Flex is I, – I always thought Flex would take one warehouse. I don't think – they. I mean, I know they would do one warehouse if it was a strategic area that they needed, but even Flex is looking for regionals and nationwide companies to partner with. I do think we'll see more and more networks like that that pop up. So there's probably going to be a home for everybody, but it's – um. It's really hard if I'm a national e-commerce, national company, let's just say I say I want to sell to the U.S., uh, I sell e-commerce, I can't work with a guy who's just in Chicago. And so that Chicago guy might say, well, I'm going to go get a partner in L.A. Well, now I have two different systems. If they're on the same system, that works. And again, that's getting back to what I think a lot of the technology players in the space are saying, let's get on the same network. So that that speaks to this customer acquisition cost, but also you know it also speaks to the customer fit. The customers look and say, I want I want the same day next day potentially, and you say I don't want somebody super high maintenance. That means the guys with one location are, are going to be shut out in some cases. So last but not least, I want to talk a little bit about growth and real estate. I know they're hand in hand, and I know that's right up your alley, summit. So before wait, first I have to ask this. You said you were born in a flat area of Texas. Why is your first name Summit? That is a great question,
1: and I get asked that all the time. So, yeah, so Lubbock Lubbock is a beautiful place. It's it's flat, very flat, so flat you can watch your dog run away for three days. But my mom's maiden name is Summit, so that's where it came from. But it was definitely Uh. a hilarious situation being from the (laughs) flattest place on earth and People oh, Michigan's pretty flat
0: too. <laughs> yeah. But we're surrounded by water. We got reason to be flat. Yeah. We,
1: Lubbock is just, <laughs> the, the town I grew up in is Brownfield, Texas. And it's exactly like it sounds. Just big old brown field. That's what it
0: is. Excellent. So anyway, let's talk about the, the fifth thing that kills warehousing companies. And I think it's real estate. And real estate has gotten real expensive. But it's also gotten really particular. So talk about some of the challenges that companies have when it comes to real estate.
1: Yeah, so if you don't play the game right, you can definitely get caught. And what that means is you really have to keep up with every real estate market around you. Wherever you're building, wherever your buildings are, you need to understand what market rates are in that market. Every quarter you need to have a very good update on that because your pricing with your customers needs to reflect that because what happens is when you get around to your renewal, let's say you sign a five-year lease, for example, in Inland Empire, Ritz grew almost two hundred percent. I mean, three hundred percent in some cases.
0: Inland Empire is uh, what west, southern, eastern, California. eastern, eastern side of Southern California, right?
1: Yeah, it's 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 basically Chino, Ontario, Fontana, Rancho Cucamonga, out to San Bernardino and Redlands. So all down in in. Uh, Southern California around Los Angeles there are operators out there that have leases rolling where they're paying 55 cents a square foot a month and their new rent on their renewal is a dollar and 50 cents a square foot a month and
0: time to move nobody
1: <laughs> if you're in a 200,000 square foot warehouse and your rent jumps that much there's if you have not been keeping it going with your customers and keeping them in the loop of the real estate market, right? And upping your pricing, then you're going to get to that renewal and and get stuck with that and they're going to go back to your customer and say, "Hey, now I have to pass the same bump onto you." And they're going to say, "No dice, I can't. I can't take that. That's got that's going to I have to rebuild everything to jump in price like that. There's no way I can do that." So they leave. Then you get caught in a jam. So I try to really preach to all of my clients, like, hey, FYI, your rent in that market is significantly below market because I did my job as a tenant rep broker and got you a really good deal. But you need to understand where the market is moving so that you can push your customers up. And when that renewal happens, you're not caught. So you basically need to be in a situation where you're making great money now because you're you're pushing your, your rates up. And then you go back to making good money whenever that renewal hits rather than the other guy who's making good money with today's rates and then losing money when the renewal hits because then he gets in a jam and has to shut his doors and i've seen a lot of guys have to shut their doors because they didn't pay attention to that one guy in particular in uh, in dallas he he did not listen to me he would not up his rates uh, a lot of his customers were on 30-day contracts he was nervous to up their rates because he thought they might pull out next thing you know the renewal comes around we get to like right before it was probably 4 or 5 months left on his lease before the renewal was supposed to kick in his customers are just they're they're so blown away at what the rents were going up to and he ended up flat out like leaving the country like left the country didn't pay rent the rest of his rent left his customers left it. he just he got so blown away by the situation by his rent going up so much he just fled the country and just left everything
0: and that's that's one so wild
1: Wild situation. Don't recommend that. That was a crazy situation. But that's just an example of somebody that didn't raise their customer's pricing over the term. And then the renewal came and just – they just they just got stuck and he just couldn't handle it.
0: Yeah, and by the way, if we were talking five, seven years ago, ten years ago, and somebody said, we're not going to have our fulfillment center in L.A. because it's too hard. It's too expensive. It's too hard to get people. And by the way, if we're in Reno – it's the best deal because it's much cheaper and it's one day, one day service for UPS FedEx back to LA. I'm a genius. Well, now with Reno, just the costs skyrocketing there, all of a sudden that that doesn't seem like the greatest strategy. And that's some of the challenges we're going to have is e-commerce companies are going to pick based on service, of course, and but they're also going to pick based on price. So I think we're going to start to see them you know, move to locations that make sense for labor. But I can't move to the middle of nowhere and say, hey, I moved out here because I don't have to pay very much. Well, there's nobody out there. I need people to run these places. And I heard somebody say this not so long ago, and this gets back to the labor problem. They said, we have an easier job finding real estate than finding good warehouse managers and finding a good team. And so the idea that I can just move anywhere, I, you you mentioned you can pull data. You can tell me if there's labor in that area. I can't just move anywhere as a warehousing company. Well, there's a big caveat
1: there because data can show you the amount of people that might apply to work in your warehouse. It can show you what you would need to pay those people to be sort of in the 85th percentile to win those people's, to, to get them into your warehouse. What it doesn't show you is the quality of of labor that that is right. There's there's places where you can run a labor study and it shows an abundance of labor, but your turnover is just astronomical. You might have I had one company tell me the other day that they hire about 500 people a year because they have so much turnover, and it's and it's it's a great work environment. It's a great building. It's just some people want to come work for. A week, and they want to, and they want to leave. They got a little bit of money. They're going to go. They're going to keep going. So they just end up. He's like, man, I have an abundance of people, but I just can't keep good. I can't keep them here. And I'm paying top dollar. I'm doing all these things. I'm trying to, trying to facilitate a, a work environment that's that's that, that's going to keep people here. But it's just the area is just what it is.
0: So I think I think one of the one of the challenges. This is a good problem to have is. We are a wealthy country, so when your son or daughter needs a job, they're they're more likely to do something that's easy, right? If they're if they're college bound, they're not looking to work for warehouse work. They're looking to work in an office somewhere, and mom and right. dad can help them get that job. And you know, I live in um, I live about an hour from Detroit, twenty five minutes from Ann Arbor, and there's factories by me that can't get head count, so they always end up shipping people from the city who are more likely to take those jobs cuz there's there's too many too many well-off young kids, young people. So the so if mom and dad have enough money where they say, "No, honey, go take this enrichment class over the summer rather than go work at that warehouse <laughs> or you're going to go on a you're going to take some extra credit for school." That's that's very much the norm these days and um I said this to my mother who's in her 80s. I said, Mom, your generation worked so many more hours as kids than we ever did. I worked a ton as a kid, but my parents' generation worked even more because they worked during the war. There was a shortage of labor. I'm part of the baby boom. We worked all the time. My kids' generation, I'm not putting them down. This isn't a criticism. Just less likely to work in hard labor jobs. And so I think this is this is the problem. People have options. This is, by the way, you drive by McDonald's now and it's $20 an hour, <laughs> 15, $15 an hour, $20 an hour. There's all sorts of really well paid jobs relative.
1: As rents go up, as wages go up, as trade costs go up, gas prices, all of these factors play into inflation. And we're, you're seeing why, I mean, you go to Costco, you walk out of there with half the stuff you used to walk out with and it's the same pr- I mean it's it's unbelievable I look at the bill sometimes me and my wife I'm like how does it cost that much for just some basic necessities I mean it's unbelievable
0: but you still love them
1: oh yeah I mean you still need them right you're still gonna go get toilet paper and all the things but when you just I'm just talking about how all of these factors that go into that are just pushing the cost of everything through the roof right right
0: yeah. So e-, e- e-commerce and again I do think we're going to we're going to see things how things work out. I do think we're going to see companies like Walmart and Target by by my house and Walmart of course. They're all going to be doing some fulfillment from those locations, but that's just groceries. But I do think we're going to see we're going to see some changes to this because um, the cost has really gone high. And while it seems like this is a seller's market for e you know, cuz all the e-commerce growth we're starting to see warehousing companies struggle. If you aren't a good operator, you're going to struggle. And so that's why, you know, this is the sales pitch. This is why you need a partner to grow with. Because if you you have the idea that I to mean, have multiple locations, there's a lot of risk because you might understand your current market and you might understand the labor in that current market and the best locations. What about the next market? What about your next location? That's why you need a guy like Summit and his team. So, Summit, I'm going to summarize this, and I'm going to get your final thoughts on this. So uh, the topic is what kills warehousing companies with my friend Summit Hogue. So we talked about a lot of things, but the major things we talked about is labor problems. We have to work on finding them, for one, keeping them happy. We also have to worry about how do we equip them with the right technology and make make this a first step in the supply chain rather than just a job for a strong back and guy who can walk all day. That is not going to work. Labor is a big problem, cost of labor. Technology, or lack thereof in some cases, is a problem for a lot of 3PLs. Not surprising, but there's still a lot of companies that aren't utilizing it to its highest potential. Bad customer fit. We hear this more and more. I think a lot of small warehousing companies grew quickly with the idea that we can serve anybody. We're hard workers. But at some point, you're going to find they don't fit. Maybe they're too big. Maybe they're too small. Usually it's too small. Maybe it's not our specialty. But, and by the way, also, if you're a shipper, find somebody who is an expert in what you ship. Don't be the experiment. Don't, don't let them learn on your dime. Customer acquisition costs have gone sky high. We've been, I mentioned Fulfill. That's F-U-L-F-I-L-L.com. Just talked to Joe Spizak, that's who introduced me to Summit. You go there, they have all the warehouses there. You can find a, you can find the right warehouse for you. They'll help they have a team that'll help you find the right one. But the reason I mentioned the customer acquisition costs is because if you're a warehousing company, you got to get on there. So when somebody goes to fulfill.com, they find you. It's just another sales channel. And then last but not least, is you need a growth partner, you need the right real estate strategy. And it really is a strategy. If you're gonna have multiple locations, you have to be strategic. You have to have that partner, or you're going to find yourself in trouble. Like you're going to find out find out these problems that we just talked about. Summit Hogue, final thoughts,
1: man. Well, I just want to thank you again for having me on. I, I really enjoyed getting to have a conversation you. with you, and, and uh, I'm excited to to see you know what the, the feedback from this because this has, been, this has been a great conversation, man. Yeah, final, final thoughts for me is. You know, when you're running a warehouse operation, culture is a really big deal. You want to take care of your people, use the technology to take care of those people in the same way that you tell the customers, you know, hey, we're not going to be the the cheapest option, but we're going to be your closest business partner. We're going to be a great provider for you." you. You have to take that same approach with the people that are going to be performing those services too, right? With the guy on the dock, you need to take him to lunch, understand what what's going on in his life and, and get his ideas and, and just learn from those type of people because they can they can really help you fine-tune your operation and build a culture that is extremely extremely robust and proficient so those are those are some of the main items there and and, and honestly if if you're a 3PL operator your your real estate broker is your closest business partner too and if your real estate broker can't go find you that one-year deal, that three-year deal in a market to go win, to, to service a, a major customer that's driving something for you, then then ultimately you're leaving money on the table. You're leaving a customer out to dry that's going to have to go try to figure something out. And you're in the business of solving problems, solving supply chain problems. And if, if your broker can't help you make that happen at all costs, then then you're doing yourself a disservice. And, and there's a lot of brokers out there that... Like the larger firms. I mean, they're they, they pass you off to different people in different markets. And those people in the different markets, they don't necessarily treat the relationship with your company like your original broker does. And so we don't have to do that at Grow. I mean, we when you when you say, Hey, when you bring somebody in from Grow to help you expand into a new market, we're flying out there, we're boots on the ground, we have local guys as well, but we're your only contact and we're gonna go make sure that this deal is run properly, we're gonna go find the, the right deal for you. We're gonna negotiate it as hard as humanly possible and really put you in a position to to really increase your your bottom line. Your bottom line is what's important because if the bottom line isn't popping and growing, then ultimately your business isn't growing. So we take that to heart. We we've we know the in the, the ins and outs of the warehousing operation. We go out there and go door to door finding just getting getting real time information from local people on the labor market, like I can pull the data and I'll show you the data reports, but when I can get in there and I go walking door to door, talking to people in warehouses and I can pull real time information and we can use that to our advantage to decide which market or submarket market we decide to put this building in based on ingress, egress, which landlord's going to play ball and then the labor component. All of those things are, are a huge factor. So I, man, I'm, I'm just glad you had me on and, and, and I'm, I'm excited to, to <laughs> well, see I'm how it turns too. out and get some feedback.
0: Excellent. Well, I'm glad I had you on too. So, what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, I'll also put a link to your website and any other links to give me so people can reach out and talk to you. What conferences will we see you at? Man,
1: I just got back from IWLA, the International Warehouse Logistics Association, a wonderful conference. Just got back from Shop Talk. Shop Talk is insane. The They have this like speed meeting deal where you you go through and you pick a hundred people that you want to meet with that are going to be at the conference. It sends them a notification. Then they pick a hundred people and then they accept or decline invites. And then it just automatically sends you fifteen like meeting invitations with like you're at table one thousand four hundred forty two with this person for fifteen minutes at this time. And you're just like, whoa! You go sit down. They're sitting there. You shake hands, talk. Boom! On to the next. One. It was incredible. Went to manifest.
0: Oh, I know. We were talking about manifest. I didn't see you there. You're like, uh, the, like the other 2,500. I didn't see, but next time I'll see you next year. Yeah,
1: and then uh, this is the Subta, the Sub Summit. It's a subscription box conference. A lot of subscription box companies come to that. So if you're a 3PL that kind of wants to focus on that niche, maybe it's a really good place for you to be. It's going to be here in Dallas this year. Those are just some of some of the examples. CSCMP. We go to a lot of those warehousing conferences.
0: Excellent. Well, we'll hope to see you there. And I like to interview smart, interesting people like you. Who should I interview? Somebody from the 3PL space. Somebody who's killing it. Who would you think I should interview?
1: Man, I could go down a long list of guys Just that are extremely impressive. But, man, I'd I tell you, BJ Patterson, He's he runs a warehousing company out in the Inland Empire. He's truly one of the most intelligent operators yeah. I've ever been around. And he's a Navy SEAL. I mean, guys, oh, I so love it. <laughs> he is, He's truly the epitome of like American dream guy that served his country, built a company and just, he knows supply chain better than I think anybody that I've talked to. So I would highly recommend talking to BJ Patterson.
0: I would like that. I would like that. By the way, I just saw it popped up on my uh, Facebook feed today that Jocko Willick is coming to my city. And I was like, "Oh, it might be interesting to go see Jocko. He's a Navy SEAL that. Uh, oh yeah, he's very impressive. Most of those Navy SEALs are. I love. To, I would love to talk to him. Hook me up with JP, BJ Patterson. I will do it. And thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate. It. You've got really interesting insights. Again, I think so often when we talk about real estate, we think of it as, uh, oh yeah, once a year once every 5 years i have to talk to that guy but i think more and more we're going to have to become especially if you're if you're a growing warehousing company you have to be you have to have those as your close partner again this is we're finding companies losing their business because of real estate right now and it's not the only reason but we're going to see a lot of changes in our space and i think if you're not whole in the real estate space you're going to find yourself in trouble so thank you so much i really appreciate you t- taking the time I appreciate you, man. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Thank you for having me on. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated.